We've all heard the story. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar, and unto God the things that are God's. Well, there seems to be some confusion in the United States of America, especially in the churches, over who Caesar is. And that can be a, a really big problem, especially in the middle of a global pandemic. So, if we are to render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and unto God's the things that are God's, well, in a democracy, who is Caesar? Let's answer that on today's episode of Wisdom's Cry. He is the creator and sustainer of all the worlds, whether those worlds are known or unknown to mankind. unclouded by hate. Does not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice? My name's Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset. And just to be clear, in case you're new to the podcast, I'm not wisdom and I am not the voice of wisdom. <laughs> I am merely a fellow seeker like yourself who is trying to discern the voice of divine wisdom in these troubled times. So, who is Caesar in a democracy? Now, this is an important question to ask, and it's one that we actually have to go to the end of the Gospel of John, where Jesus tells us that he's going to send us the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth, because there's many things that he'd like to tell us, but we are not ready to hear them. And we weren't. Paul could not have imagined a world without an empire. Paul could not have imagined a world without a Caesar. And so Paul gives advice for living under a dictator, under a tyrant. And the problem that we have today is many Christian pastors, because of their blind obedience to a book rather than to the Holy Spirit and to Christ, take that advice and apply it to the presidents and prime ministers of the countries of the world. Well, they're our new Caesar. Uh, no, <laughs> they're not. And that's a very important thing to remember in this day and age. Now, we can kind of apply some of that more broadly if we're looking at governments, but it still doesn't fully apply and it still doesn't really work in the way that, well, it's often applied. You see, the Caesars were tyrants. They were unelected despots who controlled Rome with an iron fist, unless they were killed, assassinated, or died ahead of time. And yeah, it, it, it was not a meritocracy. It was not a democracy. It was nothing that we have in our countries today. In fact, it was much more similar to the way countries like Iran or China is are led, except for none, neither of those countries require you to have had success in war first, which wasn't a technical requirement of becoming Caesar, or technically, if you were Roman, of becoming Augustus. 
but um, it was often a prerequisite. It was something that people did so that they could get their name out. They would go and invent horrible anti-Semitic wars so that they could build giant coliseums in Rome and then become the next emperor. Yay! Hopefully you got the sarcasm in that. Um, but today we live in a very different world. We live in a very different state of being than they did in the first and second century. So who is Caesar today? And why does it matter? Well, quite simply, at least in the United States, this answer is very, very, very clear. The first words of the U.S. Constitution state, We the people of the United States of America, in order to perfect, to bring about a perfect, more perfect union. We the people. We the people. We the people. We are Caesar. We are the leaders. This is the foundational principle of all democracies. Democracies rise up from the bottom. They are not dictated down from the top. That is what distinguishes a democracy from a dictatorship. And so trying to apply all of the various pieces of advice that Paul gives, they don't work. Because blind loyalty to the state, because the state is God's judge on earth, doesn't quite work anymore. You see, our elected leaders are chosen by the people. They are not chosen by God. We don't believe in the divine right of presidencies or premierships. That, that's not something that most of our countries actually have. Now, in England, their head of state is still the queen, and she technically rules under divine right, but she bestows her power to rule on the premier, on the prime minister. So that's why there's an elaborate ceremony at the opening of parliament when they do it. And that's their, that, that's literally her handing over her right to rule to the parliament and letting them do it. But still, technically, she has to sign the laws. Technically, all of the laws are enacted in her name. We don't have that here in the United States. And really in Britain, they don't have it either in the United Kingdom. They, they really don't have a monarchy in that strict constructionist way either. You see, once we discovered democracy, once we returned to this idea that people should get together and via consensus come to some idea of who they want to guide the country, we created a series of administrative roles whose purpose was supposed to be to listen to us, the people. Now, this gets abused in so many ways. It gets abused by those in power, well, succumbing to greed and bribery and taking more than their fair share because they feel that they have the power to lead and guide us. It also gets abused in that many people believe that they are elected to be our leaders. In fact, we use the phrase elected leaders, which is an oxymoron. We grant them a mandate so that they can do what we want them to do. That is the nature of democracy. That is the nature of freedom. 
Anything else is tyranny. Why do I bring this up? Because, especially right now, there are so many in the church who are spreading the noxious lie that the President of the United States is chosen by God. Because he helps to fill their pockets. He helps to make them wealthy. And they want to ensure that that continues to happen. No. That, that's not how a democracy is supposed to work. And that's actually not how the church is supposed to work. You see, the actual phrase, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's, and unto God that which is God's, well, that was Jesus' answer to taxation. Because there was a controversy in his time over who should pay taxes and who they should pay taxes to. Should they pay the temple tax or should they pay the Roman tax? And so Jesus held up a coin and said, whose face is on that coin? And the person who was taunting him with the question said, Caesar's. And Jesus's flippant response was, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's and unto God that which is God's. We need to understand that this is a separation. This is a bifurcation of our responsibilities, that our faith and our devotion belong to God and to God alone, and not to any human, regardless of party or circumstance. God is king. So our devotion goes to the Lord. Our devotion goes to God. Our devotion is to Jesus Christ, not to a living person with flesh and blood walking through the halls of Washington or London or Berlin or whatever country you happen to be listening from, whatever your capital is. That's very important for us as people of faith to understand, because Even if we wanted to apply this blind devotion to government that Paul advocates in the letter to the Romans, well, then that devotion is actually to ourselves because we are Caesar. In a democracy, we are the leaders. We are the ones who are in charge. So even if we were to apply Paul's admonitions for blind devotion to the sword of justice that God has placed on earth, well, that's the people in a democracy, not its parliament, not its Congress, and not its leadership. Luckily, Jesus made this very simple. If we are to render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, and to God that which is God's, and we are Caesar... Okay, so how does that work? Well, Jesus gave us two commandments, and you hear me say this all the time, on the podcast, because the the gospel of Christ is so simple. There are two commandments. Two, love your God with all your heart, mind, and spirit, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God. So, what belongs to God? Our hearts, minds, and spirits. We're to love our God with our heart, mind, and spirit. Okay, so those belong to God. So if we are Caesar in a democracy, then what do we owe Caesar? To love our neighbor as ourselves. There you go. It's simple. It's straightforward. It is the easiest thing to understand. 
You can try to make it complicated. And trust me, many, many people do. Because, well, it would be nice if we could say that this leader or that leader or this party or that party or this ethnic group or that ethnic group. Because that's simple and easy to understand now, isn't it? But if I say neighbor, well, who is my neighbor? And we have to be very careful when we answer that question. And we have to be very careful when we ask that question. We don't want to turn into Cain all of a sudden, right? Am I my brother's keeper? Yes. We're responsible for each other. I am to love my neighbor as myself, whether that's literally my neighbor next door, or the neighboring city, the neighboring town, the neighboring country, the neighboring state, whatever it is. If I'm in my political party, then I am to love the other neighboring party as myself. And that's what Christ actually taught. I'm not supposed to look at Democrats or Republicans or the Green Party or the Liberal Democrats or the Labor Party or the Tories or the Christian Democrats or the Family Party or the Libertarians as better or worse because I am to love my neighbor as myself, and so is everyone else. So if I am of party X and somebody is of party Y or Z, then it's my responsibility, is it not, to love them as myself, which means I should not be trying to harm them because I, I should not be harming myself. That's not love of self to do self-harm. So I should not be trying to harm them. I should not be lording over them. I should not be congratulating myself for my successes and mocking their failures. I should not be withholding aid and support. If you have a hard time understanding the principle of loving your neighbor as yourself, Jesus made it very simple. He, he reiterated the gold and the silver rules. To love our neighbor as ourself is to do unto others as we would have them do unto us, and to not do to others what we would not have them do to us. That is the gold and the silver rules. And those two rules, those two basic hearts of compassion, are present in every culture on earth. You can find a version of that very simple, straightforward definition of compassion, of love. And that is what we are meant to be doing. So, oh, your, your state got hit harder by the pandemic. Well, maybe you should just declare bankruptcy. No, that is not the Christian thing to do. And that's not even the right thing to do. Because if we are to love our neighbor as ourselves, if that is the civil guidance that we have as, a, as practitioners of our faith, well, we should come to aid. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan, right? We don't want to be any of those people that walked by and did nothing, do we? No, we want to be the person who stopped, who helped, who risked, who did what was necessary to save the stranger, to save the person that we might not even like or care for or have anything to do with in regular circumstances. 
You see, the reason Jesus used a Samaritan in that story is that Samaritans were, well, Samaritan was not, this is not an appropriate analogy, but it's one that I hope will help you understand things correctly. Samaritan was kind of the N-word of his time. That they, they were bad people. They, they, they were that group of people over there who were different from us and were horrible and unclean. And it, it was popular to be racist against Samaritans. And so by Jesus telling a story about a good Samaritan, that starts with a priest. All of these good people, right? Who do nothing, who are not helping. And then this person that it's culturally appropriate for me to be racist against helps them? <gasps> for shame. People in the audience who heard Jesus say that would have gasped in shock. What do you mean, a Samaritan doing a good thing? <gasps> they would have clutched their pearls. Someone would have grabbed their children and covered their ears. Think of the children, Jesus. Think of the children. But that was the point of the story. They're not different. No one's different. No one is better or worse than anyone else. We are all equal in the eyes of God. God is not a respecter of persons. I don't know how many prophets have to come and say that. If you do a search of the Bible for that phrase, God is not a respecter of persons, you will find that many, many prophets have said that over the years. It is a rejoinder that keeps coming. God doesn't care if you're black, white, any shade of the rainbow. God doesn't care. That doesn't matter. Those are arbitrary human distinctions. God doesn't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican. God doesn't care what political party you are a part of. All God cares about, as he told the prophet Malachi, it's very simple. What do I expect of you, O mortal, but that you do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly before your God? That's it. That's it. Now, how do you do that? Well, you love your neighbor as yourself. And you love God with all your heart, mind, and spirit. That's it. This is the simplest path and the simplest morality. And that's why Jesus said, Come to me, you all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Because it's not a whole bunch of arbitrary rules. It's not a whole bunch of this and that and who's good and who's bad and who we can talk to and who we can't and what music we can listen to and what music we can't, what movies we can watch and what movies we can't. No, Christian morality is very simple. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you and do not do to others what you would not have them do unto you. And in a time of crisis, none of us if we are honest, would want someone else to leave us without help, without aid, and without support. None of us would do that. Not one. If we're honest. And as people of faith, isn't that our job? Isn't that our responsibility to be honest? Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar, and to God the things that are God's. Well, God gets my heart, my mind, and my spirit, and Caesar gets me to love my neighbor as myself. That 
is the simple truth of our faith. And it couldn't be clearer. And to anyone and everyone who wants to muddy the waters, look very carefully at what their motivations are, because they are probably getting something out of it. Whether it's fear of others, which allows them to control their flock, whether it's money, because if you don't support us, the evil ones will win. So support us so the evil ones do not win. Listen very carefully and see what they get out of it. Because the peddlers of hate, the peddlers of fear, the peddlers of distrust, those who do not know love and thus do not know God, well, they always have an ulterior motive. Who are they serving? Look for that answer, and, well, you'll see the truth of the world. Yes, I, I understand that the world is complex, but in some ways it is very simple. And this is one of those ways in which it's very simple. We help one another in times of crisis. We don't send others out to die to save our stock portfolios. Those come and they go, and they will return, regardless of what we do. The lives lost will not. Thank you for listening. I hope you have enjoyed this. I hope this is meaning something to you. If you have any questions, comments, or topics you'd like to hear discussed on the show, down in the show notes you'll find a link to the voice message system. Keep it short, keep it clean so I can use it on the show. I would love to hear from you. If you'd like to help out in any other way, go over to wisdomscry.com and you can find links to everything that I do there. All right. I hope you are well. I hope you are safe. And as we end every episode of this, let us pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, and with the intercession of Mary, our Holy Mother, and Francis, our seraphic father, we pray to you, O God, that we will be safe and well, and that your spirit will fill us with love and wisdom, for true love drives out fear. Be with us, heal us, and keep us strong. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.